Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. M-A-I-N-M-E-N-U Main Menu Main Menu Main Menu Hello, everyone, and welcome to Main Menu for the 2nd of November, 2018. This is your co-host, Jason Castanguay, speaking. Well, by the end of this show, you will be ready to slap that sticker on and take an I-voted selfie. That's right, Main Menu brings to you a star-spangled show all about accessible voting. You'll hear about experiences and advocacy efforts around accessible voting. We talk about Democracy Live and voting accessibly by mail or absentee ballot. And we get some great election resources from ACB's advocacy and outreach specialist. Are you ready? We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. It's Janine Stanley, and it's that time of year again in the United States. That's right. It's time for our general election. And we may all groan, but the main menu team thought this would be the perfect time to talk about accessible voting. From the technology to the advocacy and your rights as a voter, we're going to bring you a star-spangled lineup today. Let's start with a little history lesson from Jim Crott. Jim is the former president of the Florida Council of the Blind and a board member of the American Council of the Blind and a self-defined voting rights advocate. Accessible voting and my interest in it became extremely personal in the 2000 election. I knew the supervisor of elections for my county. I knew him well. And he came to me before the election and said, where do you usually vote? And I said, I vote in my home precinct. He said, would you do me a favor and vote in the government center downtown precinct? My poll workers have really been well trained there and I want to see how it works and what kind of experience you have. So I agreed to do this, got to the precinct about seven o'clock in the morning and there was a line of a good 50 people there. because of its location, maybe more. But I waited, and um, I finally came up. It was my turn. And in those days, the rule was they would provide assistance to you to read and mark your ballot, and it was a punch card system. And you were entitled to have provided also a witness to verify that what you requested was being done. So I get to the check-in and they call somebody over to help me do the voting and I get to the voting machine and this guy's setting it all up and I said, no, what about my verifying witness that I would like to have? And this guy screams all over a room full of 100 people or more, he doesn't trust me, he wants a witness. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Well, if I could have crawled underneath the voting machine, I would have done so. Um, I was obviously more than a little uh, embarrassed. People in that uh, arena included coworkers. It was fantastic because it upset me so much, as did the rest of the experience that day. 
that I became for probably one of the first times in my life, a real fighting advocate. Several months later, I believe it was the governor, but it could have been the secretary of state put together a meeting of election supervisors to talk about various election issues. And those of you who are listening may remember Gail Krause, but uh, oh, Gail yes. Krause and I and a couple of others went up from Dade County and I'd written a letter to the governor and I got up and testified about the letter and my experience and Gail testified and another gentleman testified and we were on a roll. We, we had started the ball rolling that we were not happy and we were going to get secret ballots and accessible voting no matter what. The next thing that happened was the then president of the Florida Council of the Blind was able through the Division of Blind Services to arrange a meeting with the Secretary of State. So we meet with the Secretary of State and we start dialogue about accessible voting. And there it goes. Secretary of State eventually was convinced that uh, the only way to deal with this was to create a task force. Two of us, Debbie Grubb and I, served on that first Secretary of State's task force. It had supervisors on it. It had other voting officials on it, and it had advocates from the blindness community. And we met four or five times around the state and ultimately produced a pretty good report on the need to change what was out there and, and improve it and modify it so it was accessible. All of this was going on when I had a job working for Miami-Dade County where I was not permitted to be involved in state advocacy issues because it might conflict with the work I did for the county. Uh, nevertheless, my, my boss was very generous and said, well, if anybody's going to fix the system and improve it, it'll be you, so go for it. So I had the full blessing and support of my employer, and it was probably a year later that I was contacted to go out to Omaha, Nebraska and meet with the then leading vendor on an accessible voting machine, ESNS. My county was considering purchasing that system and they wanted to make sure that this accessible nut was cracked. So I went out and there was no standard to define what was an accessible voting system in Florida. Uh, there wasn't in any state, actually. So when I got to Omaha, we started working on language to define what would make this an accessible machine and then looked at the machine and decided what bugs there were that needed to be fixed and came up with a definition and a machine that actually worked. Dade County was one of the first counties to go forward and purchase this equipment. Other counties followed, and somehow I became active in testing the other voting systems that were out there, Diebold, and uh, there was a third one, Sequoia. Secretary of State convened another task force later, which I was involved in, to talk further about accessible voting issues and that task force. We got these machines approved in Florida, and we were one of the early states to do this. You know, you talk to people in California, they certainly had 
a big fight on their hand getting standards approved. Texas, I know, had a lot of issues. Massachusetts had some issues. But we all got these touchscreen machines approved. And then the whole system was attacked. These aren't reliable. These machines can be tampered with. And so we had all these questions about the machines that had been approved that were accessible for blind voters suddenly now not being, quote, good enough. In Florida, they immediately reacted to the pressure of the naysayers in about 2000 and I would say seven. And um, the legislature passed legislation outlawing the use of these touchscreen machines. And at that point, they mandated that all voters, except voters with disabilities, had to cease using these machines and the counties had to acquire accessible machines that gave you a verifiable paper ballot. Uh, new voting systems, they weren't yet developed for voters to use. There was no accessible alternative, so you almost couldn't blame the state for the position that it took that the counties had up until 2010 or 2012, I forget what the first year was, actually I think it was 2008, to get accessible equipment for their blind voters. It then became a difficult process because the vendors really were not actively involved in promoting uh, technology that would give blind voters a verifiable ballot. Does verifiable ballot mean in Braille? Does verifiable ballot? Well, it was clearly determined that it did not mean in Braille. It did not mean audio more than the audio of the machine itself, which is verifiable. But ultimately, uh, the frustration in Florida was that this deadline kept getting pushed back and was finally pushed back to 2020. Wow. <clears throat> well, of course, the vendors weren't going to show up because the counties weren't going to spend the money before they had to spend the money. About three years ago, I, I don't know the exact date, maybe could have been four years ago, a couple vendors started showing up with products that would work, uh, met the guidelines, and a few counties started acquiring accessible alternatives. Right now, by last count, I mean like 35 of 67 counties had acquired accessible voting equipment. More starting to move. I don't know that they're all going to make the 2020 deadline. I don't know what's going to happen. I haven't been following it for the last six months, and I've got to get back into it actually this week. The new equipment is big. It's not as portable as the earlier equipment. But the two systems that I've seen, the ESNS system and the Sequoia, um, whatever the company that took or took its name is now operating under, I don't quite remember, are big systems. They're big. Uh, they're just not as portable as the other systems, but they work and they work well. They provide the auditable paper trail that has been demanded. And the naysayers are still out complaining that these machines are, are not tamper-proof, that these machines are not reliable. So 
thus far we're making headway. We tried to get the statute, a rule amend, a statute passed to amend the law to allow for the ES&S machine to be used in Florida. There's some question about voter tabulation cards and how it works on more than one card and therefore doesn't quite meet the current statute. So we need a statutory change. We've been unable to get that law changed. We've put a lot of energy into it last year through Florida Council. I went up and testified. Another group of members went in and testified. We got it through the committees of both the House and Senate but they couldn't get it on the floor because the school shooting legislation got everything tied up and there went that legislation. So I don't know if the vendors are going to be willing to push it another year. Hopefully they will come back this year and, and put some energy into it and we'll get it done. This was the third year we tried. Let's go to the other coast now with California Council of the Blind members, Artis Basin and Jeff Tom. They're here to tell us a little bit about their experiences with different types of voting systems. Actually, I've um, used a lot of different systems because I have gone to a lot of Secretary of State-related opportunities where they had different blind people test different voting systems. So some of those were systems that my county didn't necessarily have, but ones that I tested either at a conference or at the Secretary of State's office. I know I had to rate some different ones, like at LA County too, when they were, before they got their current talking audio system, we had to rate different systems that different companies provided. So I was able to give opinions on those. And I know Hart is one of the ones that I specifically didn't like because it had kind of a thing you had to turn your hands. So people also had some dexterity issues. It was a problem. And I know there are a couple of counties that do use those in California, but they're not one of the systems that I liked. I've also used Automark. Now, our county doesn't have it, but I know quite a few counties that do use that system. That is very accessible, but there, you know, sometimes have been glitches with those as well. And then we have a system right now that LA got on their own, and it's not totally a bad system. It's a good audio system, but through the years since they first got it, we've had more and more issues. And some of that is polling worker issues where they forget to turn it on or have it set up. And so people come in and it's not working and then they don't set it up properly, et cetera. But it works pretty much. I mean, it's the only thing I didn't like about it is it talks too slowly and there's really no way for you to, oh, you know, make it go faster. And that, that would drives be me <laughs> <laughs> Very annoying because a lot of times it takes me, half hour, 45 minutes to vote. And it's oh. just, uh, now I'm usually the only one at the time that's using it. So you don't have a, somebody waiting in line unless my husband wants to use it, but <laughs> he can do it without using the audio system. He just would be, like to be able to do it. But we're creating a brand new one in LA that they put an RFP out and they're having a company actually make it. And then they've had it be tested by different people as they've been putting it together. 
and it looks like a, a really good system. It's more of a touchscreen system, but of course they're putting buttons on it for blind people oh, to use. And then more and more also are going to tablets. And mm-hmm. I've I work nationally with a voting company, and that's what they do. They have been providing a tablet where they've done the same thing. They put buttons on it, you know, for blind people and for other people with disabilities. In fact, for some, they've even made some foot foot things that they can add to it if they want to. So there's a wide variety of systems out there. So I'll give it to Jeff. Yeah. So I'm kind of a lesser version of artists in the sense that I, too, have used different systems due to Secretary of State events. I think I first voted on a DRE system, and then my county went to the Automark system. I really liked the Automark. It did have glitches, but using it was, I think, the easiest voting experience when, whenever it worked, whenever they could avoid the poll worker issues or the machine issues. It was the best system I ever worked with. Now they have the, you know, they my county has replaced the Automark with the next generation of that system, and it is a horrible machine. Oh no, I can't, I can't remember what it's called. Um, I should, but it, it is really slow. It can talk faster, but the English is not clear. You have to use about three different keystrokes to go from one race to another, three or four different keystrokes. It's very uh, non-intuitive if you have, say, intellectual disabilities. And, you know, when we talk about people with intellectual disabilities, we're not only talking about people that are outside of our own disability group, but also there are many visually impaired people that have multiple disabilities, and it's important for us to remember that. And that particular machine would be very hard to use for those folks. It took me probably twice as long to vote last time in the primary than it did in the 2016 election. Oh, my. When I went to change a race, it took me like five minutes to undo it, and and that just shouldn't happen. So that was a real disappointment. And I think a lot of the programming of the machine – could have alleviated some of those issues. So um, it wasn't necessarily that the machine itself, although it wasn't perfect in many ways, but I think if it had been changed in certain facets, it actually could have been a decent machine. But I I don't know. I hope they... I understand not much has happened since the primary, at least in my county, with that machine. I hope that for the next cycle that they do. Anyway... That's my story on that machine. The main menu team have had our experiences with voting accessibly as well. Jason, have you used accessible voting technology before? I have, yes. And it started out where it was done over the phone, where I sat at a particular table and a poll volunteer did something with the phone, called something or called back or something. And then I was handed the phone and given the keypad and I could listen through and choose selections based on my vote. It evolved from there. And uh, Larry, I believe you mentioned Automark in one of our conversations. And that sounds very much like what we have here. 
Uh-huh. Now. So, yeah. So, Larry, tell us about Automark, because I think a lot of us may have used Automark around the country. Yes, the Automark, I've actually used a couple of different uh, types of voting machines because of living in different areas. When I lived in Florida, they used the Ivatronic down there, which... Yep, that's the one we have here. <laughs> which had the arrow keys and all that, and then you had the all the buttons near that and then you had a push the diamond button yeah (laughs) there was also a big button up on the top of the screen that you pushed yes the automark has kind of similar features but the major difference with automark is before you can vote you have to get your ballot and you feed the paper ballot into the machine and then it has the uh eloquence voice on there i believe it sounds a lot like it anyway and you use the arrow keys you know to move through your different races and go through your candidates and then there's a select button in the middle of that uh key pattern you know where you have the arrows going up and down and left and right and then you know each button it has a braille label on it to tell you what that button's for and also the instructions will tell you what button to push when and when you're all done with that and you've reviewed everything and then you cast the ballot, it will spit the ballot back out and then you have to take that and go put it in the ballot box. A lot of states, including Illinois, love their paper ballots. And oh, yes. There's been a lot of uh, discussions about you know how to deal with that for the blind and visually impaired. There's no uniform way of, you know, every state, every district has the right to choose their own voting system, which can really create a lot of confusion and, you know, a lot of inconsistencies with uh, accessible voting. I mean, some places it's probably very good, other places uh, mediocre or even poor. So, you know, that can cause a problem down the road. So what makes a good accessible voting machine? Here's Jeff Tom. Well, I think it needs to have good instructions preliminarily. And whether you don't decide to use the instructions, as I didn't need to do after I'd used the automark once or twice, or whether you do want to read them thoroughly, I think that is important that you get that baseline information that you need. I think it does need to be able to have a speed control because I think it is very important that you be able to set those parameters in line with how fast you can implement your voting choices. But I think it's equally important that the output be very clear, as I just stated earlier with respect to this machine. I couldn't speed it up even close to what I normally would have because I couldn't understand it very well. And so that's important as well. I agree with Artis's comment about the Heart Inner Civic. It it did have some dexterity issues. I remember. I don't know if the current version of that machine still does, but it it did. So all these things are important, and I also think it shouldn't take too long to go from one race to another or to go through your ballot. There's a delicate balance between being able to make sure you didn't vote wrong or can undo what you did and not have such a clunky mechanism that it takes you forever to go through 
your races and to go back to a different race or to whatever you need to do. Yes, I would definitely agree with that one. Um, so, artists, what are your thoughts on usability in terms of the machines that you've looked at? I totally agree with Jeff. And I think it's also very important to have the buttons not too close together. Some people have bigger hands than other people do. And I've seen sometimes where you actually have to count over or, or whatever on uh, some systems to make sure that you're on the right thing. Whereas the, the later ones that now I'm seeing more often is they have just a little bit of space in between. And, and they've limited the number of buttons. And they've been also making different shapes of buttons, which I also think is helpful, like actually having the arrow and having a, you know, like a square for the, okay, take this vote and et cetera. And I think that's very helpful, especially for people that have some dexterity issues. Mm-hmm. Those are, but I agree with Jeff on the voice. It has to be somebody that's clear speaking enunciation is very important and sometimes they just throw a person into that job and say okay it's your job to put this in audio Mm -hmm. and i notice that with some of the materials you receive in the mail too the audio ballots that you can listen to you know sometimes they don't have the best person reading those and i think that's always an issue Jeff tells us a little bit about the process in California to achieve accessible voting. Well, the advocacy has been done on many levels. A lot of it has been done through folks like artists who has worked with the Secretary of State because in our state, the Secretary of State is the election official who has jurisdiction on a statewide basis. But then we also have had judicial advocacy. We have had to bring suits against different counties. We brought a suit against Alameda County because of just all the problems that people faced with their election system. We took on a couple of counties that are vote by mail. And I guess I should explain the difference in California between vote by mail and absentee. Yes. Um, It's probably something that goes on in other states too. Yes. In a vote by mail county, at least as we define it, you do not have local precincts, but there are voting centers so that you can go to certain places in the county and you can actually go to any one of them if you want to vote in person. And what we advocated for in the legislation that adopted the vote-by-mail system is a mechanism that was eventually certified by the Secretary of State in which you can vote using your computer and then you print it off and send the ballot in just as anyone else would send in their vote-by-mail ballot. So that took legislative advocacy. And we also had to take on a couple of those counties to make sure that voting mechanisms would work for persons who are blind or have low vision and that there would be sufficient machines at the voting centers uh, for people to use with vision loss. 
Wow. So what is the process of, say, taking a vote by mail ballot and making it into something that we can actually use from our computers to print the results? Do you Can you talk to that at all? Sure. The systems that there's two of them certified in California, and what they do is the counties who work with either the Dominion system or the Democracy Live system is that they take the material that's printed out, like for each ballot measure, and they basically copy it into the ballot so that it can be then read by the person. And both companies use different people to make sure that the ballot remains accessible. And that way, you know, they can make sure that what they're providing back to the county is totally accessible. And they have links on them where you can actually read about candidates. They have links on them where, you know, for the initiatives, et cetera. But they also use those systems in some counties that don't have accessible vote by mail or absentee voting accessible yet in their state or county. Some of them use it for sample ballots as well, oh. instead of using the, you know, audio sample ballots in some counties. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it can be used for both. But basically, they use the materials from the other and just copy it into it. So it's a great new wave, I think, because with all the issues that we have at the polls, and a lot of it is poll worker training. Yes. They, they try to do the training too quickly. The trainers don't see enough blind people there, so they don't think it's important. I mean, I've been voting at the same precinct for years, and I think more often than not, it's not working when I get there. Mm-hmm. And they've claimed that they set it up first thing in the morning, but they haven't. And then they have to reset it up, et cetera. And so I think this new system is going to be great, although you do have to have a computer. So people would have to go to the library if they don't own their own computer. And I know people would prefer phone voting, but that's (laughs) something our state will not do. (laughs) Speaking of online voting, absentee voting, voting by mail, let's hear from a representative of one of the companies that provides this kind of service. Brian Finney is the president of Democracy Live. What is Democracy Live? Well, Democracy Live is a voting and elections technology company. We've been around for um, over 10 years now, providing uh, accessible voting and balloting uh, technologies to voters around the country and, and around the world. We have voters in over 90 countries that are using our technology and in hundreds and hundreds of uh, localities here in the United States. What was the impetus of, say, founding or creating Democracy Live and the solutions that you have? Well, it probably goes back to the, uh, actually goes back all the way to the to the 2000 election, uh, Janine, where... <laughs> As so many things <laughs> do, right? <laughs> right, right. Especially in, in, this, uh, in this world of, of elections and voting. Obviously, we all remember that back in 2000, it was an extraordinarily close election. And uh, we all learned, I, I think, as citizens and as voters, that the uh, election can come down to just really, you know, a handful or a few hundred votes that can truly decide the outcome of who runs Congress and who controls the White House. And uh, when that happened and when we saw that, you know, it got down to the voting systems themselves. It was actually, you know, these hanging chads and, 
and punch cards that actually end up determining the outcome of, of that particular election. And I think we've had a ripple effect of that ever since the year 2000. And so when we saw that happen, coming from an old political science background, and I'm up here in the Seattle area, and so there's lots of technology. And, and so the thought was, let's combine technology with, with trying to modernize this thing we call voting in America. And so that's how we really got started with trying to modernize and, and upgrade our voting technology in this country. And up here in, up in Washington state, we all happen to vote by mail. That's, um, everybody's voting by mail up here in Washington. And, and so, you know, we saw that there was a great need to provide not just paper ballots, but accessible voting and, and accessible voter information for those people that can't necessarily see the paper ballot. Well, tell us a little bit about the systems that Democracy Live! has. Do you have actual physical machines, or is this all done sort of on the web and on a person's own computer? Well, Janine, it's really both. And, and what we've seen at Democracy Live! is this extraordinary growth in voters voting from home on a paper absentee ballot. What that really means is that it's very, very convenient for the vast majority of voters to be able to access and, and mark the ballot independently and privately from the convenience and the comfort of their home. They can sit at their uh, kitchen table with their, next to their fireplace and, and vote. However, if you happen to be one of the 20, 25 million voters with disabilities in this country, you're the one that has to really, in, in many cases, the only group of voters that is forced to go down to the polling place and vote on the machines if you want to vote independently and privately. And those machines are really, really important. But at the same time, we believe that everybody should have equal access to being able to vote uh, at home, regardless of, of you know, physical challenges or, or disabilities. Right. So this is a system that would be based on internet access and access through someone's personal computer, right? It is, yeah. So what the idea is, is that you would just simply use your own computer, the same computer that you would use to go to Amazon or, or go to Facebook, and using the same type of tactile input, be it a, a keypad or, or in some case it might be a sip and puff device or um, whatever type of accessible devices that you use to navigate through a website, you would do the same thing to be able to access and navigate through your ballot. Oh. You'd end up marking the ballot as well. The idea and the intent is to have the same comfort that you have using your home computer to be able to access your ballot um, from home. So I'm interested in voting this way. How do I go about finding out if my area has the Democracy Live system? Well, you would contact your local elections official and you would ask them that you understand that around the country, more and more elections localities are offering an accessible absentee ballot. And you would just inquire of your local um, county clerk, the local registrar, and ask if they have an accessible alternative to the paper absentee ballot. Huh. Great. And if they do have it, then what will happen? So what would happen is that the county elections staff would typically send you an email with a link. And that link would be the link that would take you back to this secure portal where you would type in typically your first, last, of your, your date of birth to be able to access your particular ballot. And that's the same ballot that you would have if you went down to the voting machine or if you're able to use a, a paper ballot. So it's the exact same ballot. You'd click on the link. You'd use whatever navigational assistance devices that you use for your home computer. 
and you could listen to the ballot. You'd be able to navigate your way through the ballot. You'd be able to mark the ballot all from the screen on your home computer. And then what would happen is that it would play back the selections that you made. Now, in most states currently that are doing this, they still require the paper. So there's still a paper trail here. And you would be able to independently access and mark your ballot. But then you would print out the ballot. You'd print out a signature page, at which point, you know, maybe somebody might assist you on on where to sign for the signature. Mm -hmm. But the goal and the intent here is that you're able to independently access and mark your ballot from home in private. Got it. Got it. And then you simply mail that back to your board of elections and voila, you're done. That's right. Exactly. Wow. Now, can you print out an I voted sticker? Because everybody, <laughs> everybody wants their I voted sticker. Right. <laughs> Maybe that, that's in the version uh, 2.0 coming out. Yeah, I was going to say, we need to get that little I voted emoji there. Right, um, right. Put that on all of our social media posts. So that's great. So how long has this system been in place around the country? Well, it's really started to take off over the last couple of years now. There's been a lot of growth, as, as we mentioned, in, in uh, absentee and vote by mail. It's the fastest growing method of voting in the country, which is fantastic for the vast majority of the close to 200 million voters in the U.S. to be able to you know, vote conveniently from home. But over the last few years, because of the growth in absentee and, and vote by mail, the uh, disability community, the advocates have, have been going to their states and saying, you know what, my next door neighbor is able to vote from home. I happen to be, you know, blind or paraplegic, or maybe I'm a wounded warrior coming back from Iraq or Afghanistan, and yet I have to go find transportation down the polling location, but everybody else in my, in my neighborhood can vote from home. So that has led to a lot of, I think, energy within the advocacy community to insist on and, and ask for equal access to at-home voting, just like everybody else. Wow. And this ability to do this at home really takes away some of the anxiety of going out to vote. You know, will the machine be working today if there is an accessible one? Will the poll workers know how to do it? Will I have a bad encounter with somebody at the polls? Will they, in case of a physical disability, will my polling place even be accessible to me? And, you know, that's a still, unfortunately, a really big problem for folks. So this, well, is, um, this is very exciting. But, you know, there are close to almost 200,000 voting locations in the country, and each one of them do require a machine. And I think it's super important, right? Everybody should have that ability to go down to the polls and, mm -hmm. and vote on the machine. But you're right. It's a different type of machine. They're not really used to it. They may only do it once every couple of years. Yep. <laughs> and, and, that's, <laughs> and that's the whole intent of this type of technology is to bring that same type of accessibility but put it on a laptop or a computer that you use every day that you're used to and bring it into the home so you don't have to go down and, and hope that the elections you know, community or the elections poll workers turn it on and have to really figure it out. So that creates a lot of pressure for some, sure. for some people. Sure. So if we can bring it into the home, it, it, it um, hopefully makes it more convenient. Absolutely. Fantastic. Now, does this work on, say, a mobile phone? Could I get the link via email and use it on my smartphone with my smartphone's browser? You know, absolutely you can. It's totally mobile friendly. Again, as we mentioned, in most states, it has to be printed out, the actual ballot itself. And so as long as you can send, you know, your selections to a, a printer, 
to be able to print out the ballot. That's really the key. Right. And that's usually the only issue with, with mobile phones. How about platforms? Uh, I would assume Windows, Mac, Linux, all of those are covered. Right, right. We've had to be certified in multiple states now, and, and uh, so we've had a wide range of members of the, of the community test it um, across all different platforms, and in order for us to be certified, we had to prove that it can work across all the different types of devices and platforms and computers that people use in everyday activities of daily living. Great. And I am, I'm making the big assumption here that we are 508 compliant with this system. That, that's right. You know, it's WCAG 2.0 AA compliant. Great. Uh, we've had the opportunity to work with a large array of leaders within the disability community, within the blind community. We've had a very fortunate opportunity to work with and had received feedback from uh, members of the Council for the Blind, independent living centers, Disability Rights Network, just a whole array of different groups that are out there and always trying to improve. And, uh, you know, we're never done. We're always building and, and hopefully making more and more accessible. Certainly. Now, the big question, what about security? I know, you know, you obviously can't tell me all of the little ins and outs, but what can you tell us about how secure this kind of a system is? Well, that's a large reason why we partnered with Amazon. Democracy Live was actually recently nominated and selected to sit on an executive committee that was sponsored by the Department of Homeland Security to represent the different types of technologies that are out there in in the um, voting landscape. And we're, I believe, selected in part because of our level of security that we have for this type of a system. It's really important to keep in mind that this is not online voting, right? At the end of the process, what you're really doing is just simply accessing your ballot, but you're still printing out your selection and, and mailing in the paper. So, right. so you know, the, the security... Isn't, isn't going anywhere. Right. It's not being sent anywhere on your behalf online. It simply resides there on you know, your computer until you print it out. That's right. That's correct. Great. The, the okay. same system has actually was, was uh, selected by the U.S. Department of Defense to provide our military men and women that are stationed around the world to be able to access the ballot and, and do the same type of marking of the ballot and printing it out and, and sending it back. Oh, so fantastic. it's been used by the U.S. Department of Defense. We work with uh, Department of Homeland Security now. And, uh, of course, in hundreds of loca- locations around the country. And, and uh, to date, you know, we've really put a huge emphasis into security and, and accessibility. The two really go hand in hand. So if someone wants to get involved with advocating for Democracy Live or learn more about the company and work with you folks on uh, getting this system in their area, where would they start? Well, for those that are listening to this interview today, if they're interested in the ability to, to have equal access to absentee voting, to be able to vote from home, then what they'd want to do is reach out to their local registrar, their, their county clerk, and request it. Now, they may not be able to provide it because of you know, state laws or the state policy. And where it's been successful around the country, and it's been growing quite rapidly, this, this new type of technology to provide equal access to absentee voting or, or at-home voting. And when it's been successful, it's been because of the leadership at the state level. It'd be the Secretary of State agreeing with the members of the community that everybody should have equal access to the ballot, either at the polls or in the home. And now that it's been proven with the Department of Defense, now that it's been proven with a number of states for voters with disabilities, there really is no more excuse why they shouldn't do it. You know, this is as much a right as putting a ramp or a rail to a polling place 
or putting a machine in the polls to provide equal access to the, to the ballot. Having equal access to the, to the absentee ballot or to the home, you know, this is a civil rights issue. This is a voter rights issue. Absolutely. And it's also not a democracy live issue. Uh, to be <laughs> honest, you know, there, there are other technologies that can do the same thing. You know, my reason for coming on today is to just educate uh, you and, and your listeners that if this is something they want, there are technologies like Democracy Live, but it's not a Democracy Live issue. This is really a democracy issue. Great. Great. And how can people learn more about Democracy Live itself? Um, would you like to give folks your website and how to contact you? Absolutely. They can certainly go to our website at www.democracylive.com and they'll see that, you know, as of this election cycle right now, we have literally hundreds of elections taking place as we speak right now for voters that are accessing their ballot um, using this new at-home accessible voting technology. But we also have some other technologies that are coming out right now as well. In fact, um, just this week, we're launching, for those of your listeners that might have an Alexa, device. We also believe that uh, voter information is important, not just the ballot, but the ballot information. And so we're making audio ballot information now available in collaboration with Amazon through the Alexa devices. And so you're able to listen to who's going to be on your ballot, listen to the candidates all through Alexa. The other thing that we have coming out right now is is for um, in hundreds of of jurisdictions around the country, including Franklin County, I believe your home county, you can also get your, your sample ballot. Um, all fully WCAG compliant, uh, Section 508 compliant. Fantastic. So you have the information as well as the ballot. Oh, great. Great. Now, about, and I actually had to turn mine off because she's sitting right here on my desk, <laughs> but about that A-Lady skill, is that a skill that people have to enable or is that uh, information that's going uh, right to the device itself um, through Amazon? It's, it's right to the, the device. You can say open live ballot. That's the name of it. You say open live ballot, uh, or you can say, Alexa, um, who's on my ballot this election? And she'll pop up and, and give you information about the, um, the candidates appearing on your ballot on a statewide level. It's the very first time that we've done it, but uh, Amazon is committed, as is Democracy Live, to providing tools and technologies to all voters, um, including 25 million voters, um, that um, may have a disability or, or um, are, are blind. And the Alexa type of platform um, is a great way of getting the information out there. So you're not just a voter, but you're a, an informed voter. And that's really the key here as well. Where do you see us going in the future before we leave you today? Well, I do believe that there's going to be, um, you know, the, the holy grail has always been to narrow the gap between voters with disabilities and those that are going to the polls and voting. And we want to make sure that everybody has the same access to the ballot. And we believe that just like, you know, many years ago when, when uh, the Help America Vote Act was passed and they put a machine into every polling location in the country, we want to make sure that every locality, and there's close to 6,000 localities in the country in all 50 states, that they all have the same understanding and are all complying with the requirement to have equal access to the ballot. And that includes the absentee ballot. So currently there's about six states that offer uh, this type of technology. And we absolutely by the presidential election believe that all 50 states should provide equal access to at-home absentee voting to make sure that everybody has the right to vote in an equal manner. 
That's awesome. And again, we've been talking with Brian Finney from Democracy Live. Thank you so much, Brian, for being here on Main Menu. Well, thank you, Janine. What happens if you have questions during this entire voting process? Or you get to the polls and something goes wrong. Well, we have answers for you from Claire Stanley, ACB's Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. Talk to us about how do we get involved at the local level to try to affect some of this change at the Board of Elections and as they're designing these systems. Yeah, um, like you said, it really varies by state to state and district to district. So um, it's generally you see on a county um, perspective. So just getting involved at that that level and, you know, really getting involved to go in and say, hey, you know, I want to get involved. But we you can get involved at a much broader level and they can help you. So or you can get involved, I should say, through oh goodness, I'm going to get the acronym wrong, but through HAVA, the Help America Vote Act that was passed in 2002, there is now what we call the um, the EAC, and I think it's the Election Awareness Committee. I'm getting the A wrong, but you can get um, all your information through what the EAC is doing at a national level, and then it's cycles down through all the way to the bottom. So I'd encourage people to get involved with what, see what the EAC is doing, and that'll filter you all the way down to the bottom. Um, So it's a great way to kind of see what's going on in elections from the very top all the way to the very bottom. Oh, and I would just say, in addition to that, I would also, what we did in Florida when I lived down there is our local chapter really got, uh, really, got to know our supervisor of elections really well. And there are a lot of different resources you should know about. So the EAC is a great place to go. Also, the, um, uh, the protection and advocacy systems within your community are charged with the responsibility of being the poll kind of monitors, we can call them, during the elections. And so if you just Google protection and advocacy in the name of your state, it should pop right up. It's usually called like Disability Rights California or Disability Rights Arkansas. And it's their job during elections to monitor the polling places. So if you get there and, oh, we don't have an accessible machine or what are you talking about? You can call them the day of and their responsibility to kind of be the the police, so to speak, and make sure that you have the right to vote and you can do it independently. What other resources are out there? There's all kinds of resources. Uh, Department or yeah, Department of Justice, U.S. Department of Justice. They have a 1-800 technical assistance line that you can call anytime um, with any ADA questions. But um, they're especially known at this time of year um, in this season um, for voting um, rights questions. So if you have any questions that fall under the ADA, Title II of the ADA deals with local and state elections. So if you know you're voting for a state issue or a local government issue, Title II of the ADA covers that. The Rehabilitation Act covers uh, federal elections, which we're coming into. If you have any technical questions about those, um, the 1-800-ADA number through Department of Justice can answer those questions. Um, So take advantage of that. Um, The ADA National Network, they're all about educating people on the laws. So if you call their 1-800 number, they can answer any of your technical questions on how does it work and what does the law say and that kind of thing. So those are two great educational numbers to call. 
And then as far as upholding the law and making sure that your rights aren't violated, those again, I would go back to the EAC and then the protection and advocacy numbers. A number of companies are also doing promotions surrounding the upcoming elections. If you happen to subscribe to one of the rideshare services, Uber or Lyft, check your mailbox because they are offering anywhere from $10 off a ride to the polling place to a free trip back and forth, depending on where you are around the country and what particular offer they have for you. So definitely look at your mailbox for those rideshare offers to get back and forth to your polling place. Also, Ira is offering a special from now through November 7th. That's right. Any activity that you are taking part in that has to do with voting or working for one of your candidates or issues surrounding the upcoming election can be free to you. To take advantage of this, if you have an IRA account, you can go into the IRA app on your smartphone and select the free offers. And there will be an offer in there about a voting activity. You can select that one and your time then is free for doing that particular activity. If you don't have an IRA account and you'd like to look into this, you can sign up for a guest account. And the app is called IRA, A-I-R-A. And for more information about that, you can go to their website, which is http colon slash slash www.ira.io. That's A-I-R-A dot I-O. I'd like to thank our guests for this very special show, Claire Stanley from the American Council of the Blind's National Office. You can hear Claire and Tony Stevens, our Director of Advocacy, on their podcast, ACB Advocacy Update. Look for it on your podcatcher of choice and soon coming to ACB Radio. We were also joined by Jim Crott from Florida, Artis Bazin, and Jeff Tom from California, and of course, Larry and Jason, part of the main menu team. We'll finish today with Jason and our list of very important resources from Claire Stanley, and a thought from Jim Crott. If no one uses the accessible machines, it's very hard to justify their existence. So folks, please get out and vote. And don't put your I Voted sticker on your dog's head. Thank you. Hey, everybody, Jason here. We thought it would be a good idea to put all the resources mentioned throughout the show in one place. So if you missed the opportunity to catch it earlier, here it comes again. Grab that slate and stylus or braille writer. <laughs> Digital recorders work too, and get ready to take some notes. We talked about Democracy Live!, and that is available at www.democracylive.com. Again, that's www.democracylive.com. And in particular, Claire Stanley had a lot of resources mentioned. And thank you, Janine, for getting the numbers for the agencies as well. The Election Assistance Commission, EAC, can be found at www.eac.gov. That's www.eac.gov. The Department of Justice ADA Technical Assistance Line can be reached at 1-800-514-0301. Again, that's 
1-800-930-0301. The ADA National Network can be reached at 1-800-949-4232. Again, 1-800-949-4232. To find your state's Protection and Advocacy Agency, just do a search for Protection and Advocacy. All right, get out and vote! Main Menu is a program brought to you by the American Council of the Blind and ACB Radio. It airs every Friday evening beginning at 9 p.m. Eastern on ACB Radio Mainstream and repeats every four hours until 5 p.m. the following day. You can listen by going to acbradio.org mainstream, use ACB Link, grab it as a podcast, or call 712-775-4808. If you have ideas or a submission you'd like us to consider, feel free to email us, mainmenu at acbradio.org. You can also reach us on Twitter at mainmenu. Please note that any submissions are subject to approval by the Main Menu team before airing. Thank you so much for listening.